So we're in Luke chapter 19. I'm going to start reading at verse 28. If you have a Bible, you might want to follow along. Luke 19, verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as they, <clears throat> as they went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash to the ground, you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we uh, gather around your word this morning, Father, I pray that you'll be speaking to us. Lord, this is your word. We are your people. This is your time. I pray that you will help us to um, put aside the things that crowd our hearts and minds. Give us ears to hear and listen. Father, we pray for Christy. We thank you for him and we pray your blessing upon him now as he comes to share. May he know your faithfulness. May he know your, your presence within. And Lord, I pray um, that this would all belong to you. For your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Ian. Good morning, everyone. It's, uh, it's good to be able to be together again and... Uh, Enjoy such wonderful, bright weather. It always makes a little bit of a difference in the spring season when we're actually able to see the sun out uh, on a day like this. Last year, there was a really uh, significant um, aviatic incident that happened in Paris. And it was interesting because it wasn't reported on the news straight away. It was actually several weeks afterwards that uh, it became part of the news but um, apparently, uh, um, 
really interestingly at uh, Charles de Gaulle um, Airport, which I hope I'm not offending anybody, is the worst airport I've ever been onto. It's easy to get lost, and uh, your luggage almost ever always gets lost if you're changing flights there. Anyhow, there, there seems to be a theme. Um, there were two particular planes. One was supposed to take off. It was an easy jet preparing to take off for Malaga in Spain. And there was also an American uh, United Airlines uh, flight that was coming from Newark, um, coming to land. And through a slip of the tongue, the air tra traffic controller really confused the runways. And uh, basically, the Malaga flight was cleared to take off runway 09R, which uh, it took me probably about 20 minutes to realize it was standing for right. <laughs> And the other one was supposed to land an 09L or left. But she confused the two and basically asked both planes, one to land on the same strip and the other one to take off from the same slip. Thankfully, the uh, uh, EasyJet pilot realized in good time, but actually it was about 300 feet as they passed between the two. You could call that a close call. <laughs> Just a bit. I mean, for those of you who can't imagine, it's about the length of a premiership football pitch. That's pretty close to do that. And sometimes there are situations like that where the wrong information can be fatal. You and I would have heard stories of medical misinformation, and some of them horrendous, when somebody's going in needing an operation, an amputation on one of the legs, and they found out afterwards that they've amputated the, long le the, the wrong leg. Or sometimes, and, and, and this is pretty topical at the moment, in terms of military information, you get given the wrong information, you hit the wrong target. It can be tremendously devastating. So wrong information can be absolutely fatal. And the same is true spiritually speaking, not just in medical or military terms or aviation. The same can be true in terms of our spirituality. And so very often I meet people who really don't understand who Jesus is. Some of the more popular ideas, wrong ideas or perceptions about who Jesus is, are the ones that probably you would have already come across. Some people, people when they think about Jesus, they think about a mystic healer that would be akin to anybody else that would have performed miracles. So he would have been somebody that is spooky and kind of interesting and fascinating, but they reduce him to simply being that. Other people particularly interested in social or political issues, they saw him as a social reformer. Somebody who came along, alongside the poor and the disenfranchised and who sort of uh, identified with them and lifted them up. And he becomes a hero for those who see him as simply that. Others would try to look at the words of Jesus and see him as a moral teacher who said some very interesting things worth following. And it's interesting how they do this pick and mix, where they pick up, you know, love your enemies or turn the other cheek or some of the, some of the sayings of Jesus, but never the entire teaching of Jesus. And they are the wrong types of information that can be fatal, spiritually speaking. 
Just like the information on the two airplanes was wrong and it could have led to a disaster. The same is true for us spiritually. If we don't understand who Jesus truly is, it can be devastating to us, lethal to us, spiritually speaking. We're on Palm Sunday today. And on Palm Sunday, traditionally, the church celebrates Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, the text that Pastor Ian just read to us, in which Jesus triumphantly enters as a king, not a king like we would know, into Jerusalem. And again, even that probably isn't very helpful because, frankly, I have not many people who, when they think about Jesus, they think of him as a king. I'm not talking about people in church. But people outside of church, they tend to think of the three images that I've already mentioned. But nobody ever sees Jesus as king. Nobody ever thinks of him as king. And maybe the other challenge for us is that when we think of the word king, we have a particular image in our mind. And living in a country with an active monarchy, this is helpful and unhelpful to us. It is helpful because if you lived in a country that had no history of monarchy, people just wouldn't know what to think when you said the word king. Or you just have to go to fairy tales or history books. But even living in a country with an active monarchy, it isn't always helpful. Because if we were to take our royal family and begin to kind of look at Jesus and look at the royal family, it would be complicated. As far as we know, and I kind of summed up three things about the royal family, and uh, absolutely everyone in this room is probably going to take shots at me for the three things that I've picked up. But to simplify it, I, I think they are kind of, in a sense, remote from most of us. Most of us have never met them. There might be some privileged people in the room who had the, uh, an honor of meeting one of the royals. I mean, the closest I ever got was about 10 meters from Princess Anne. You know, that's my claim to fame. But the vast majority of us have never had a cup of tea or, or a chat or sat down to watch Friday night TV with any of the royals. So they are kind of remote. They live a life that is very privileged and a little bit remote from the vast majority of the people. The other thing about the royal family, they're obviously very privileged, very wealthy. They live in a, in a special place. Um, not sure any of your um, places of uh, home uh, resemble Buckingham Palace or any of the other palaces. They live in a different way and in a different lifestyle. And the third one is they're flawed like all of us. And although they may be sort of distant and definitely richer than most of us when we begin to hear some of the stories and some of them good some of them not so good we realize that they're just like us i think it's coming to the anniversary of one year since the queen lost her husband and she was very human you could tell the grief that she was feeling and the loss that was there just like me and you and there was that moment of connection Watching some of the royal weddings, again, there was a little bit of a connection between all of us. They are like us. And even the sort of negative, sordid stories in the press, they show that they are just like us, broken people. So how do we understand who King Jesus is when we're putting it all together? Well, 
as we delve into what Luke is trying to say to us, I think he's helping us to understand who this Jesus really is. What kind of a king is he? And what's that got to do with us, with me and you? Look at verse 28. When Luke is beginning to describe Jesus entering to Jerusalem, he simply says this. After Jesus had said this, and it was one of the things that Jesus has been teaching on, it says Jesus went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Jesus went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Who is this king? Who is this Jesus? He's a saving king. Right now, if this is the first time you ever hear this story, you don't know what's coming ahead. All that we can see, if you follow the story of Jesus as Luke has been describing it, it, it you, you're actually thinking that this is going to be a popular coup d'etat. Through which Jesus who frankly comes out of nowhere, born in a very ordinary family, coming from a very ordinary place, is beginning to approach Jerusalem. And there's a swell of a crowd going with him. And I can imagine that the political analysts of the time and all the royal advisors at the time were thinking something's going on here. There's a movement. And we've seen grassroots political movements in our world in the past five, six, ten years that have come out of nowhere and have just sprung into action. And everything about this Jesus was unexpected. All, all they could tell is that he seemed to be very anonymous and he seemed to be puzzling. He was a man who did many miracles and touched people's lives and changed them forever. Healings, exorcisms, even raising people from the dead. There was something very powerful about him. He was also a very astute teacher. People followed him for his teaching and somehow he connected with them. They, they run to him. There was something magnetic about both his power and his teaching that they wanted to hear more. And suddenly people were beginning to travel with him and people were beginning to gather to hear him speak. This was a grassroots thing. This wasn't something that was orchestrated. He wasn't a man who was born in a wealthy family and through his privilege rose through the ranks to become somebody special. It's as if the people on the ground were pushing him. And he was moving towards Jerusalem at a time of the feasts. That's why you find this incredibly powerful. That those people are gathered and they're beginning to shout Hosanna to the son of David. And the crowd is there. And everything looks like a procession. He was somebody who lived as an example. Most of the political leaders are flawed. You know, just it seems like every... I was just reading the press this morning and it's all about a chancellor and, and his wife's tax affairs. And it just seems like we see people rise through the ranks. They're predicted to be the next thing. And within two, three revelations, they've just fallen down. Jesus matched his power and his love for people with his integrity. But there was one thing 
he was hated by the establishment, particularly the religious establishment. He was threatened by him. To the onlooker, people didn't know why. Why was he hated? Because he was more popular than them? Because people flocked to listen to him? While maybe some of the gatherings where the religious establishment was gathered, they were empty? We don't know. But one thing is for sure, the people loved him and the establishment didn't. And yet he comes into Jerusalem. And if me and you don't know the story, we think this is a coronation march. I'll let you into a secret. It was anything but that. Or at least not the kind of coronation they expected or we would have expected if we didn't know the story. Because this so-called king comes to die. So actually Jesus is entering into Jerusalem and I love the way Luke puts it. Jesus went on Ahead. He's going on ahead to his very death. That's love. That's his love, his saving love for me and you, for all of us. Jesus is not going to be lifted up by people on the throne, but he's going to be lifted up on a cross to give. His life as a savior of the world for every single one of us. They didn't know it. They thought this was going to be a coronation. But it's anything but a coronation. And there's no stopping him. Jesus went on ahead. Praise God he did. Jesus went on ahead. Why? Because this king is a saving king. That was his purpose. That was his heart. That's what drove him. Not power. Not adulation from people. Not anything else apart from a desire to give his life. And that's what he did. And that's what he talked about. It didn't catch him by surprise. Many people think, and particularly those who see Jesus as a political activist, they think, oh, they've done a job on him. (laughs) when they realized that he was being popular, they murdered him because he was uncomfortable. No, Jesus wasn't accidentally killed. Jesus knew he was going to die. Three times, he tells that to the disciples. Once after Peter's confession, the other time at the transfiguration, we looked at both passages, and then Matthew In his gospel, Matthew 20, verses 17 to 19, this is what Jesus is saying. As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside, and on the way, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will... Raise, be raised to life on the third day. This was no surprise. Jesus knew exactly what was going to be happening. And he even told the disciples. That's why I love the way Luke puts it. Who is this King Jesus? He is the one who went on ahead. There was no stopping him. Because he is the saving king. 
a good question for us on this Sunday. Is he your saving king? Because this is personal too. Jesus didn't just die for a mass of unnamed people. He died for individuals. He had my name and your name in his heart when he gave his life on the cross. Who is this Jesus? The king who lays down his life for the salvation of sinners. And that's me and you. That's the king on Palm Sunday. But then Luke continues. And if you look at verses 29 onwards, you you, you find a description of Jesus and what is happening here. And after Jesus set to cut into Jerusalem, he approached Bethphage and Bethany at a hill called the Mount of Olives and sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a cold tide there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who went ahead went and found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, the owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. This is, yes, a triumphal entry of a kind in Jerusalem. But once again, Jesus defies the expectation. Once again, this isn't the kind of coronation march or a victory march that you would have expected. The Jewish people would have been familiar with the Roman ceremonies, very often either caused by uh, Caesar um, and one of the celebrations and festivals, or even the return of some of the Roman armies, conquering Roman armies, coming home into Rome. And everything about those ceremonies had pomp, had lavish wealth, and it was dazzling, impressive. And in particular, probably, you would have seen soldiers in very shiny armors, uh, often with bright red garments in contrast with the metal of the armors and often riding on white stallions. Can you see the contrast between those? Because anybody who would have ever seen the other ceremonies would have been struck by the contrast. This isn't what was expected. There were no golden chariot and white stallions. Instead, Jesus borrows a donkey. In fact, Jesus borrowed most of his life. He was born in a borrowed manger. He met with the disciples in a borrowed room. He rode into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. Everything about this king screams humility. He was not like the other kings. He's not like the royals that maybe like to parade their lavishness. He was a contrast to Caesar. And he would have been a contrast to any wealthy person who chose to parade their wealth. Instead, this king comes humbly on a donkey. I've said it before. 
the best analogy I can come with is somebody, you know, weddings, usually the newly marrieds tend to have a flash car that they go in. There are some exceptions, but most of the time, you know, people tend to borrow somebody's Audi or Merc or, or a vintage car, a Bentley, something like this. This is like turning in a Robin Reliant to a wedding. It's shocking. It's unexpected. But that's because Jesus is a humble king. And everything about the way Jesus was in his earthly life showed us his humility that marked him all the way from his birth through to the cross. This is my king, and this is your king. It's a humble king. A couple of years ago, a particular Instagram account called Preachers and Sneakers was beginning to kind of look at some of the cool preachers in the States who, and, and look at the attire they were wearing and begin to sort of identify, you know, kind of how much does it cost. And some of it, it would just make you physically sick to think that somebody would spend, you know, $5,000 for, I'm saying sneakers for some people are thinking, of, you're thinking of chocolate. It's, uh, <laughs> it's trainers, and also not just the trainers, there's other stuff as well. You know, there's one with watches as well that is preachers. And I just keep thinking, there's something wrong with us. There really is something wrong with us. If we need that, when our king came on a donkey, born in a manger, died on a wooden cross. There's that incredible call to humility. And this is my prophetic call to you. Who do you follow? If you're following people like that, and those are the kind of people that speak into your life, wake up a little bit. Because there's a big contrast to the way Jesus was. And we need to maintain that. We need, if we're Jesus-centered people, and if he is the humble king, and if he is our king, that should be reflected in the way we are. I love the story of John Wesley. Uh, after uh, George Whitfield passed away, and if you know a little bit of church history, Wesley and Whitfield were theologically in different places, um, and, and disagreeing on some things. And a lady approached John Wesley quite timidly uh, after the, the death of George Whitfield, And uh, she said, kind of hesitantly, Mr. Wesley, I'd like to ask you a question, but I'm afraid of what the answer might be. He said, well, then, come on, madam, by all means, ask the question. And she said, Mr. Wesley... Do you expect to see Mr. Wheatfield in heaven? A lengthy pause followed after John Wesley replied with great seriousness, No, madam. Her head was bowed down. She says, Well, I was afraid you might say so. Quickly, John Wesley quipped. He was a very witty man with a lot of honesty. He says, Do not misunderstand me, madam. George Whitfield was such a bright star in the firmaments of God's glory. And he would stand so near the throne of God that one like me, who am less than the least, will never even get a chance to catch a glimpse of him. This is Jesus-like. That's the kind of humility 
Jesus displayed and true displayed and true authentic followers of Jesus are going to be the same like him where humility matters. The journey of the king, this king that comes into Jerusalem who is like no other king is beginning to take an interesting turn. Verse 41, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, it says, Jesus wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This is a caring king. Such a strange change of mood. Everybody was praising loudly Jesus. Everyone thought he was coming to be the liberator. And somehow he didn't get swayed by all of this. Power didn't get to his head. The praise of the people didn't make him lose his focus. And instead, there's a stark contrast Instead of Jesus going around and telling the disciples, boys, can you see how much they love me? As he's descending and looking on Jerusalem, he breaks down. Strange. If me and you would have been there, we would have thought, that's strange. Why is he crying? People love him. He was crying. For at least two reasons. One is, 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 is very clear right from the text. He's crying because w- when he looks back at the people whose lives he touched, when the looks, he looks inside of the hearts of the people that were even praising him, when he looks ahead of those who would reject him, everywhere all that he could see was the words that the Apostle John spoke. He came to his own, but his own. Did not receive him. Jesus never lost his focus. He never got drunk on the, the, the words of those who were praising him. Because right at his very heart was one thing and one thing only. The salvation of the people from their sins. And his heart was heavy and broken. Because he saw people who said no. Rejecting the offer. Because there were people who didn't realize who he really was and why he came. And as soon as they would realize that he didn't come to overthrow the Romans. He didn't come to make himself king. He didn't come to be the new political hope in Israel. They just dumped him. They didn't want to hear anything he had to say. And Jesus knowing this, his heart breaks. Because that was his heart. To see people saved. And they would reject him. Also. He saw. This was in the present. But he saw into the future prophetically. The destruction of Jerusalem. This is almost like somebody. You know nearly. 40 years. Ago. Seeing 
the destruction of the cities in Ukraine. Jerusalem had been absolutely, totally wiped out and destroyed. And Jesus, through his prophetic eyes, being the God who knows all and he sees into the future, could see that destruction. And he, he looks at what is now, and he, in, in his mind's eye, he can see what's to come. The death, the tragedies. And he weeps. That's my king. The king who cares. That's your king. The one who is compassionate. At times men are being laughed at if they cry. It's a sign of weakness. But this king is strong. Because this king can relate to pain. He can relate to suffering. And he expresses it. He's really connected. He's not aloof. The author to the Hebrews writes these wonderful words that express once again why Jesus was so emotionally connected and compassionately engaged. And the tears were saying that. Hebrews 4 verses 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. Normally people looked at the high priest in the Old Testament as one that would be so much above them in terms of morality and spirituality and holiness that they wouldn't dare even compare themselves. And they would have been intimidated by that. And yet the author to the Hebrews is saying, Jesus is better than any high priest you can think of because he can understand. He sees our suffering. And that's why the invitation is, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. That we may find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Because Jesus is the caring, compassionate king. Who understands, who sees, who weeps, cries with us and for us. Luke is painting a picture that is quite surprising of what is this king like. And my prayer is that as we continue to open the scriptures, we, we maybe recalibrate our understanding of King Jesus. And maybe some of the images that we've had before will be pushed away to make room for actually what the scriptures are showing us in terms of who Jesus is. This is so important to really understand and take to heart. And this morning, all we can do is to come before this king and respond to him. And the first most obvious thing that I can say is you need to surrender to this king. If you don't have Jesus as your king, if you don't have Jesus as your savior, this morning is the perfect time. I've just tried to the best of my abilities to show you who he is and the fact that he has come for me and he's come for you. And that demands an answer from us, a reaction. Are we going to follow this king, Jesus? Or are we going to say, thank you very much, but it's not for me? Are we going to delay it and say some other time? Who knows if there's going to be another time? Or am I going to say, right here, right now, here I am. I'm following you, Jesus, because I know who you are. You're the king that came to save me. You're a humble king. You're a caring king. I want to follow you for the rest of my life. 
And that's my encouragement this morning, that you would take that step. And it's just as simply as you saying in your own heart, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer to do that in, in, in a moment, to just surrender to him. And then we would love to, Ian and I, or anybody else that you're comfortable with that's here, just to have a conversation with you to try to give you some tips for the next steps in terms of what it means to follow Jesus. That's so important on this Palm Sunday. We can't just stand in the crowd and pretend it's not for us. It's for me. It's for you. It's for us. Maybe you've already done that. And my encouragement to you, if you've already done that, like I have done that, I have taken that step to, 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 to surrender to Jesus. I just want to call you afresh to serve King Jesus. And ask the question, is Jesus really king in my life? And in your life, king, as in what he says, I do. Where he goes, I go. And joyfully serve him. If he's asking me for my time, if he's asking me for me to be involved in blessing other people through serving him, am I ready? Am I available? Is there anything that he has given me that he's asking back that I'm saying, Sorry, you can't have the donkey. <laughs> you, you, you may be able to have the chicken, or you may be able to have the goat, but the donkey? No, you can't have the donkey. What is it that he's asking of me and you that we need to say yes afresh and surrender to him? Those are questions that we must take to heart. And maybe this, this week is a good week to, to spend some time thinking about that. We have created room, beginning with tonight, and Pastor Ian's going to give you the breakdown of what happens every night, but beginning with tonight, all the way through Thursday night and then Friday morning, we want to create space for you to come and meet with this king afresh. I could do a raising of the hand type of poll to say how many of you feel like you've been so busy recently that kind of your relationship with God maybe has become a little bit distant. And I, I can guarantee, if we're really honest, that probably the vast majority of us would kind of, you know, kind of hesitantly put our hand up and say, yeah. Well, we created space. Space in the next few evenings and then Friday morning for you to come. And we're going to spend time just looking at God's word, praying together, giving you time to pray. You know, sometimes you live such busy lives, even if you wanted to pray at home, it's mental. We want to just say, come, come aside, come to the upper room, come and spend time to get to know the king, to listen to the king, to submit to the king. That's what we're doing, not because we want to be busy. It's quite interesting, I'm reflecting that some of our friends and colleagues are doing a lot of outreach at the moment and in, 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 in this time. It is my personal conviction that instead of being really busy putting tons and tons of outreach, although we have one very significant outreach event with the art exhibition, which is a great opportunity for you to bring friends, I think the key, not just events, not just ministries, is me and you. And the more me and you spend time with the king, the more we get his heart, the more we are able to actually lead other people to him. And that's why we're doing this, to create room for you and me 
to meet with the king. The band are going to come and, and lead us. But before we do that, I want us to pray. Let's stand together and just be still for a moment. Let's stand together and be still. Jesus, as we take a step back and have looked into the story, we're just mesmerized with what we see of you there. Jesus, we want to say thank you this morning that you went ahead. You knew what was coming. You knew the pain. You knew the injustice. You knew the mockery. You knew the rejection. You knew everything about it. Yet you went ahead in order to save us. And this morning we want to say a corporate thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you didn't stop. Thank you that you went ahead. Thank you that you have seen your incredible humility. You came as the king who comes to serve and save his people. We thank you that You're such a wonderful king. This morning we want to submit to you. Maybe for the first time. And if you've never had a chance to submit to King Jesus. Just pray these words into your heart. Jesus I'm sorry. That until now. I've either lived. In the kingdom of me. Or I've let other people or other things. Be the ones that rule in my life. Today as I look at you. I want to say Jesus you be my king. I submit to you. I want to follow you. I want to serve you. I want to be like you. As you live in me. We surrender to you Jesus. And we pray Holy Spirit. Help us. To let go of anything in our lives. That may have been off limits to King Jesus. And come under the authority of King Jesus. Who doesn't come to punish. To coerce. But the one who calls us to total surrender. By laying down his life for us. Help us to follow him. Amen.